Welcome to It's Time on CSN International, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode, we'll be listening to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of Mark. Each of the four Gospels has a different approach and different audience targeted by the Holy Spirit. The book of Mark is a fast-paced, action-packed tome focused on Christ's role as a servant. By studying the examples of Christ in the book of Mark, we can learn a great deal about what our life as Christians should look like and the heart of Christ. With our study on Mark, here's Pastor Mike. God's doing something warm in our hearts, and that's great. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Mark, chapter 15. And we're going to continue looking at this book that which um, Mark records for us, The Life of Christ. And uh, last time we were together, we talked about how Jesus was led before Pilate. And we remember the other, uh, that uh, how he was interrogated by uh, Herod and all. And so we're going to kind of pick up the story uh, here this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, for the opportunity that we have to study your word. That, Lord, through it, you speak to us. And so, God, we would ask you now, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that, Lord... These words would not just be ink on paper, but Lord, they would come alive with the power of your spirit. That we would better understand you, we would better understand ourselves, and Lord, our relationship with one another. Father, we realize that oftentimes it's easy to say that we love somebody, but we refuse to become interactive in their life. And so God, we ask you now that you would show us how important it is that we would know and have your definition of love in our lives rather than the world's. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we know that, uh, of course, this part of the scripture is reflecting when Jesus was uh, willfully, by himself, allowed himself to be taken by the Roman authorities and in the Garden of Gethsemane, and thereby be interrogated and eventually crucified for our sins. Now, uh, again, Jesus saw us all in a very interesting place and a different picture than oftentimes that we see ourselves in. Jesus saw us in a lost, sinful condition. Now, this is something, friends, that today people don't like to really believe. We want to believe that we're beautiful, that everything is great, that we're fine, I'm okay, you're okay, cuckoo-cuckoo, and now we're all going to make it. But the Bible tells us that there is something within all of us that, that we inherited from the garden, and that was called an old sin nature. And that's why we behave and do what we do. And sometimes you'll even say to yourselves, I don't know why I do this. Why am I doing this? And it's because there's an old sin nature that pulls against the very heart and the nature of God. Now, what God uh, has told us in his word is true. Again, if you want to do a kind of a thumbnail sketch of humanity and an overall view of, of people's personalities, you'll find that by nature we are selfish people. And this is one of the things the Bible I highlights as a flaw within the old sin nature is that by nature we are selfish. Now, the Bible tells us that that needs to be changed because there's only room to serve one master. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve yourself. And by serving yourself, it, dis- it, it, it proves the old sin selfish nature. Now, Jesus willfully laid his life down for you and me so that we could be born again. This is not something, friends, that comes naturally. It comes by a divine infusion of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we confess our sins to Christ. The Bible says, if we're honest enough, and this is what it's talking about here, if we're honest, that's what the whole premise of this prayer is, 
If we would confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That removes the guilt. Friends, that removes the sin. And because of that, then we have a communication with God again. We, we no longer are enemies of God, the Bible says, but now we have been restored whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Very important because, again, we all go someplace for help. I don't know where you go for help. I pray that it's to the Lord. If you're a Christian, you better be going there. That's the only place you're going to get good advice. You know, even as Christians sometimes, people will run around rather than praying. And they'll ask everybody else what they think about a particular matter rather than going to the Lord and saying, God, what do you think about this? What does your word say about this? And uh, you'll find sometimes, as well-meaning as sometimes Christian people can be, they don't always follow what the word of God says. Isn't that true? And in fact, we've all seen that. And unfortunately, sometimes we've even seen it in ourselves. And when we see it in ourselves, we realize how much we need to be dependent upon God. Now, as we would look at this, we remember that Jesus was on the cross. The Bible says that he was crucified in the third hour, which is about nine o'clock in the morning. They didn't all have uh, uh, cell phones with the clock in them or wristwatches or pocket watches. They pretty much went off the sun, the sun pretty close to the equator, rising at uh, about six in the morning. The third hour of the day was about nine o'clock in the morning. The Bible tells us by noon or the ninth hour, uh, or excuse me, the sixth hour, that darkness covered the entire earth, actually. And at the third hour in the, or excuse me, three o'clock in the afternoon, or the ninth hour, is when Jesus uh, breathed his last. Now we remember during this particular time, there was a lot of things that went on. There was those that came by wagging their heads, saying, if you're really Christ, save yourself, and come down from the cross. Well, thank God that he did not listen to what people would say. And friends, I want to encourage you the same thing. You might find people that will give you advice based upon selfishness or based upon something that would compromise your relationship with God. Jesus came to die on the cross for all of us. Jesus didn't get caught by accident. Oh, if he would have just got out of the garden in time, he wouldn't have gotten caught and he wouldn't have gotten crucified. There's actually some religions around today that teach that, that Jesus failed in his mission. And actually the purpose of Jesus was actually to come and get married and have a bunch of super babies and, and, and redeem the world that way. It's kind of crazy sounding, I know, but there's actually people that believe that. But the Bible said Jesus came to be the Paschal Lamb to take away the sins of the world. Jesus didn't get oopsie caught. Jesus deliberately went where he knew that they would come because his time had come. All along, Jesus was telling people that, hey, it's time has not yet come. When they wanted to push him off the cliff to Nazareth, when, when he came there, his time had not yet come. But when his time had come, for him to be the Paschal Lamb to take away the sins of the world, Jesus fulfilled what his Father wanted him to do for the love of all of us. Now see, again, sometimes, friends, you may not feel love. You may not feel that anybody loves you. Maybe you're here this morning and you decide you'd come by here before you jump off the bridge. Well, I'm glad you're here because I want you to know something. God loves you. And God's got a purpose for your life. Now, that purpose is as varied as every one of us look differently. And I don't know what God's going to do. Something else I'll share with you as well. That purpose that God has for you over the period of your life may change. You may be a missionary today. You may be a pastor's wife tomorrow. You may be a, a, a pastor today. You may be an evangelist tomorrow. There's a lot of things that God has for us. And I found a lot of times in our lives, what we like to do is we like to settle into our nook and become a cranny and say, God, I'm here and I'm not moving. 
Well, with jackhammers and timbers, he started back down. Because God has a way of dislodging us from a complacent Christian lifestyle. Now, the reason I say that, the reason why complacency sets in is it's convenient. Now, you say, Mike, where are you going with this? You'll see when we begin to read. Because we know that Jesus died on the cross. Was that an inconvenience? Yes. What did it bring forth? Salvation for all of us. Friends, sometimes God allows your life to be inconvenienced through situations that, friends, you may or may not have anything to do with. I sometimes wonder in the Christian experience how much God allows to come to us to cause reactions in other areas in this world. You know, sometimes God may create discomfort in your life only so that you will be motivated to do what God wants you to do. Now, you'll find that sometimes in the Scripture. We remember that it wasn't until Jonah was swallowed by the great fish that he had a change of thought. The Bible tells us there in chapter 2 of Jonah, this prayer that he, that he uh, prays out in the belly of the whale, and I'm glad God listens to us no matter where we're at or what fish we're in. And he cries out, and he repents, and the fish, God says, God spoke to the fish. Now, I don't know, that tells me something interesting. God knows the language of fish. But he spoke to the fish, and the fish ralphed Jonah out on the beach. And Jonah went into Nineveh, telling them to repent. Now, the reason why this is important is because we find in Luke 11 uh, that... Jesus said there will be no other sign given. They came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we want a sign. Now, you say, what, what, what's that mean? Well, prove to us that you're really who you say you are. Well, we want a sign. Give us a sign. And Jesus said that there will be no other sign given except the prophet Jonas. And so as Jonah was uh, uh, three days and three nights in the belly of his soul, so the son of man be. Now, it, it's interesting to me that, that Jesus references Jonah, and we find that Jonah, through discomfort, was able to bring a city named Nineveh into repentance. And friends, it's through discomfort, sometimes in our own personal lives, that God uses us to bring others into his kingdom. Many times in my Christian experience, I thought, well, now that I'm saved... You know, I'm I'm not going to experience any pain or suffering or sorrow or rejection or slander or all those things that we all go through in daily life. And friends, I am fairly convinced that as I really examine Scripture, that unless we are going through something like that, really, I don't know how much really comes out. And you'll think about it in your own life, how God used something extremely discomforting in your life to bring you where God wants you to be. Now think about it for a minute. And it may very well be that oftentimes we say, well, God, why does it have to be this way? Why do I have to go through pain and suffering to see your kingdom come? Friends, it tells me a couple of things. One, it tells me that we're selfish. That I don't want to give in order for God to really be glorified. The second thing is, when the discomfort comes, it's one of the ways in God moves us around into where He wants us to go and do what He wants us to do. Now, now we don't always understand that. Because we think that God's just going to, you know, you know, hello, this is God. Yeah, oh yeah, sure, I'll go on down there right now, thanks. Wouldn't that be nice? Have you ever just said, God, I just wish I could get a two-minute phone call with you? I think we all have. Where we just call up God and say, God, what do you want me to do? Now, I'll tell you something else. You know, it's a funny thing 
Because a lot of people want to know when the caught-up is or the rapture is. Do you know why they want to know when the caught-up and the rapture is? Because they want to party up to the last day, repent, and then go in the rapture. Selfish, selfish, selfish. But there's others of us that would like to know when the rapture is, to know how much do we do, how much don't we do. Because there's a lot of things that need to be done for the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if you knew that the Lord was going to come tomorrow, would you start that new big building project for your church? Probably not. And so we all wrestle with this, friends. This isn't something just that you think about. This is something that we all go through and we think about because we go, God, I want to do your will. I don't mind maybe inconveniencing myself, but I want it to mean something. Now, in the case of Jesus here, we find that as he was on the cross, you know what? In the midst of Jesus' suffering, he was never too tired to give. Friends, this again shows me the undying love that Jesus had towards us. It tells us here that in verse 42, and this is where we left off last week. Now when evening had come, because it was preparation day, that is the day before Sabbath, it says that Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, coming, taking courage, went to Pilate and asked him for the body of Jesus. Friends, this is fairly significant here because here you find a fellow council member of the Sanhedrin who did not consent to the brutal treatment of Jesus Christ and in their, in their desire to kill him. Because, you see, Jesus was really in opposition to the law. You see, the law was what God demanded of man for man to be right before God. But man can never live up to the law. You know, people say, well, I'm not too bad. In fact, if you ever go witnessing. One of the things, if you share your faith with people, or you're talking to somebody, maybe Aunt Emma or, or Uncle Bill or whatever. Every, almost everybody has an Uncle Bill. That's kind of nice. But you, 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 And you're talking to them. And they say something like, um, well, I'm not so bad. Well, maybe you're not. If you compare yourself to maybe a derelict or maybe the person that's a drunk next door. But how do you stack up to God's standards? Well, what is that? Well, the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. Have you ever stolen anything in your life? Well, yeah, yeah, once I, yeah. Well, what would that make you then? Well, that would make you a thief. Have you ever lied? Thou shalt not lie. Have you ever lied? Well, yeah, I lied once. Okay, what would that make you a liar? Now, next question is, how many people do you have to murder to be a murderer? Just one. How many people do you have to murder to get the gas chamber or lethal injection or the electric chair? Just one. So we begin to understand then that it isn't that God grades on the curve. Man doesn't either. And when we begin to understand that when in eternity one sin is an offense to God, we realize how serious our sin is to God. So when you show somebody the Ten Commandments, what does that tell them? It tells them they have a need for a Savior. Now, why would a person try to earn what God has already given them? In other words, how do you get free from your encroachments or your sins of your past? Now, your sins of your past are what haunt you and drag you down and remind you that you're not what you know you're supposed to be. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus, again, died for our sins. And when Jesus went and preached a message of hope, there were those that hated that. Because, as it says here, Joseph of Arimathea was waiting for God's kingdom to come. You see, there was an understanding 
that there would be a Messiah that would come. In fact, that's why the kings of the east, if you remember, the kings of the east came, they said to Herod, we have seen his star in the east, we've come to worship him. And Herod says, well, as soon as you find out where Jesus, this newborn child, is at, you come and tell me, I want to come and worship him too. Now the Bible tells us that he didn't want to worship him at all, he wanted to kill him. But the wise men, the Bible said, after they'd found baby Jesus, they said that they left and went home a different way because they were warned not to go back to Herod. Now what is amazing there is how did the kings of the east know to be looking for a Messiah that would come? The Bible tells us, and of course when Daniel was carried away captive into Babylon, that we remember that as they were praying that Daniel was worried about his country. And God began to reveal to him that someday God would restore it. We also find in Nehemiah's life that God, when Nehemiah was praying, God said, from the time that goes forth, for Nehemiah to go and restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah, the Prince, would be 69 seven-year periods. And on the exact day, Jesus made his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem as he came in on that Palm Sunday. It was their day. It's the day they got their king. It was their day of their kingdom to come. It's interesting, the very first place Jesus went, was into the temple. He cleansed the temple. Friends, again, that's the first place Jesus goes into your life when you invite him into your temple. He goes right into your heart. And the very first thing he does, he begins to rearrange the way we live our lives. Removes the things that shouldn't be there. Puts in the things that should be. You know, one of the things Jesus knew, about certainly about being a king, is unless the spiritual fervor of a nation is right, everything else is not going to work. And so the very first place Jesus goes is into the temple, and we remember what he did in the temple. The Bible says he turned over the table of the money changers. Now the reason why Jesus did that, friends, is because here was the people, and especially in this week of Passover that, was, that we're reading about right now, when Jesus went in to Passover just um, six or three or four days before, five days before, as he came into the temple... We remember that as he came into the, into the temple, that they were buying and selling. These were people that just wanted to be right with God. That's all they wanted. The Bible tells us they would come from all over. We remember in the book of Acts, there was a, a fella that was riding through the desert. An Ethiopian eunuch that had came to Jerusalem to worship. And we remember that Philip was told by God. Philip had a great ministry going up in Samaria. The Lord spoke to him and said, go down to the desert. Now, it's interesting, that's all God told Philip about going down to the desert. He said, you just go down to the desert. So Philip goes down to the desert, and as he's down in the desert, he sees a chariot going through. And the Lord spoke to him and said, go join yourself to that chariot. And so Philip, the Bible tells us, ran. And he ran, and and the guy, as he runs up alongside this guy, here's a guy reading a scroll, reading his chariot. I don't know how he could do that. They probably didn't have very good shock absorbers in those days, but he was reading along. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and he began to share with them. He says, is this person speaking of himself as he was reading out of Isaiah, this Ethiopian eunuch said, or is he speaking of another? And the Bible says that Philip reasoned with him from the scripture that Jesus was the Messiah. The man believed with his heart, and he was baptized when they came to some water. Now I look at that, and I see how God does things in so many unusual and beautiful ways. How he will reach out, he will do things in ways that we don't understand. God has a way of reaching out to you in your lost condition. He knows right where you're at. And even though we may not always understand how God does everything, friends, He does. You see, 
we find here that he did not agree, Joseph of Arimathea did not agree with the way that they had treated Jesus. The way that they had treated Jesus was terrible. But you see, Jesus didn't come to please himself. He came to die for our sins. And so he says here that Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who is himself waiting for the kingdom of God. You know, waiting for the kingdom of God. I believe that Joseph of Arimathea, probably very much like the people from the east, knew that there was going to be a Messiah that was going to be born. Just as the kings of the east came and gave their gifts to a baby, figuring that the average king usually takes his throne somewhere around 30 years old, they saw a star in the east, they said, this must be it. This is what must have been spoken of by, by the prophets of the Old Testament that were around Israel, that there would be somebody that would come to be the prince. And the Bible says that it would be on the exact day Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, 32 AD, exactly on schedule. I believe Joseph of Arimathea probably knew that. Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how off I would gather you, but, but it's been hid from your eyes. It wasn't that the information wasn't there. It was that they didn't want to see it. Friends, I'm convinced in this world today, if you don't want to see God's hand, you won't see it. That's Pastor Mike Kessler on It's Time. If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to inform you that we offer It's Time for free as a podcast download in the iTunes store. If you'd like a hard copy that you can keep and share, give us a call at 800-357-4226, and the operator can help you with that. Don't forget, It's Time to Grow. Pastor Mike's book on the Christian walk is also available completely free for you by calling that toll-free number I just mentioned. Tune in next time for more It's Time. It's Time.